All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and we are back. It has been a long time, but we have to be back because the Georgetown Hoyas are about to be back. Hoyas open up against Coppin State in less than a week. And of course, to preview the season, give our thoughts, what we thought about the offseason, just get going in general. I'm joined by a casual Hoya contributor, Nationwide Nolan. Nolan, can you believe this felt like the longest offseason ever, did it not? It did, with a lot of changes, but <laughs> basketball's in the air. I'm ready to get going. Yes. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'd have a hard time believing that you're not following him on Twitter, but you can do that at Nationwide Nolan. I am, of course, at Bobby Bancroft. And Andrew sadly cannot join us this afternoon, although he did put out the bat signal for tweets. He's at Casual Hoya. Uh, I guess just to set the table real quick here, you know, Georgetown last season, really bad season. There's no other way to describe it. So basically you've got an entirely new roster, uh, new coaching staff, although a couple guys have switched positions and Patrick Ewing is coming back for his sixth season. I say the off season felt like it took forever, basically because when it started, you know, you didn't kind of know like what were the changes that were going to be made because you can't have a season like you did last year where you lose your last 21 games. You know, you go 0-19 in the league. A lot of changes have to be made, and it just seemed like what has basically happened is it's turned into a eight, nine-month uh, discussion, argument back and forth, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on message boards about, you know, should Patrick Ewing have come back and all that stuff. Is that kind of the way that, that the offseason affected you, or is that kind of the way that, that you saw the offseason drag on because of basically – we kind of got like, you know, kind of like, you know, there's Georgetown's playing Coppin State on election day. It basically became like you've got two factions, right? Like people that really wanted Patrick to come back and people that didn't. And mm-hmm. to me, that kind of like, that kind of wore me down. And to be honest, that's probably why Kente Corner <laughs> took a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. It's, I think it dragged on for me because I think we'd all agree this probably is a, a make or break year. And, Part of you almost just wants to know the result at the end of the year. Um, does this thing never get off the ground? Is there actual progress? I mean, what happens? Um, so it did feel like a lengthy offseason. It did. And, you know, I guess we should also say, so I wasn't able to make uh, Georgetown Media Day. Uh, they had it in the middle of a day, and unfortunately, I could not find a way to get down to campus, although it would have been great because because of COVID, I can't think of the last time I spoke to Patrick Ewing on campus. It's probably been, what, two, two and a half, three years. But the biggest news that came out of that, well, I guess not, I'm sorry, there's there's two big items. Is One, Jay Heath, who is a local guy out of Wilson, who's been at Boston College, been at Arizona State. If he's, at some point, if he's eligible, he's going to really help Georgetown they don't have a waiver for him yet because he's the double transfer. And then Dante Harris, basically your lone returning starter. Well, he is your lone returning starter and kind of your only really player that returned that played a ton of minutes. Uh, Ryan Matumbo played here and there, but, you know, as far as regulars, it's Dante Harris. So, you know, right off the bat, it's sort of, you know, it's like, yes, the season's back. And while we don't know what's going to happen with all these new pieces, two of the pieces you figure would definitely feature prominently, whether, you know, whatever you think about how Dante played last season, um, you know, he had to do a lot. He was probably injured for a lot of it, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think you're going to need something out of Dante and definitely Jay Heath. You know, what does that already do to an uncertain roster, in your opinion? 
the Jay Heath one, which I'm sure we'll get into more, is the big one for me. Okay. I just took Patrick kind of, well, he didn't say it explicitly, but he left enough hints that Primo Spears was probably going to be the starting point guard. And the lack of development from Dante last year, and then you throw in Denver England on top of it. I, I don't think he was going to have a sizable role, even if he does come back. But it's the Heath one for me because you're talking about someone who shot, I think it was 43% from three last year at Arizona State. Yeah. And that Arizona State team was not anything special, but they were decent. So you're looking, he's a solid high major, just plug and play guy. Um, and even defensively, I think he held up okay. If you go back, not that I watched a ton, but there was a stretch there in February where they played UCLA in Arizona and he got assigned to. The first night, I think it was Ju Zhang. He was the primary defender, and then against Arizona, he had the master and assignment. So, I mean, that was a good Arizona State team on defense, especially. So that gives you an idea that he was capable both ends of the floor. So, fingers crossed that he does get cleared, because um, I think that does leave a hole if he's not there. Yeah, I guess it's hard to just start. It, it's just hard to know what you're starting with based on you know, to use Patrick Ewing's term, the gumbo has completely different ingredients, right? And at least with Dante, like I said, I know that he was kind of polarizing last year, but what we saw of Tyler Beard, you saw why Patrick leaned on him so, so much, right? Like, you know, Tyler is, you know, at Pacific, which is maybe a better level for him. Um, And for someone like myself that's sitting courtside most games, you know, Dante put it all out there. You know, I think he was playing Mm -hmm. hurt and, you know, so it, it, it did seem like if you're reading the tea leaves that Primo Spears, who had a really good freshman season at Duquesne, was definitely going to feature prominently. But one of the things, it's you know, it's, it's not like college football where if you have two quarterbacks, it kind of means you don't have one sometimes. Like in college basketball, you know, it seems like it's a really good idea to have multiple point guards. So, I, you know, depending on how much uh, England can really contribute there, you know, Dante Harris, and hopefully he's okay. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on. It seems like he's just away from the program right now. As we are recording this Thursday afternoon, he is still on G. Um on, on the roster. So that's definitely a positive thing. And, you know, if it's sort of it go if it keeps going the way that it is, this is sort of how Dante Harris emerged, right? Like Jalen Harris, who we never even really heard about exactly what happened to him. Um, you know, he had some he had some family issues and he had to go take care of it and we never saw him. I think he played five or six games and Dante stepped in and we know what happened at the end of that season. And, you know, it's just kind of, just kind of crazy if it kind of goes the same way where he showed up this way and he kind of leaves this way. And speaking of that, I, you know, tell my age, I'm old. I do like to pick up my Lindy's, um, you know, sports preview. And, you know, we got a bunch of guys on the cover locally. They have covers all over the country. You know, Dante Harris is on the cover, you know, I mean, they, they got a guy from, you know, they got mm-hmm. Key Clark from Virginia, uh, Hakeem Hart from Maryland. They got a you know West Virginia guy in here. I'm not sure who that is actually, and then and Dante Harris. So I do think he was gonna he was gonna feature a pretty good amount, even if he wasn't gonna start. Um, so like I said, casual put up here for questions, and I feel like usually we get to questions last to kind of just rush through them. I feel like the questions can just kind of kind of just open up the podcast here. So we got Patrick Madden at the Sports JD. How many Big East games? Would he miss if it's a first semester only, which I think he's talking about Heath. Uh, second, winning a critical mass of conference games is the measure of success 
I'm not sure how that makes sense. So basically, Patrick's asking here, like, how many games is Heath going to miss if he only misses the first semester? Um, the answer to that is, I think about, I think about four or five Big East games. Um, obviously, all of the non-conference. Um, what do you think that they will do? Let's say, let's say Dante is not part of the program as he's not right now, and Heath is not there. Is it going to mainly open it up for Denver, or is there one of the other guards you think is going to? have to contribute i think it would be him just because i think you need a shooting um but it would make you awfully small in the backcourt i mean i think primo gets listed at six three but he's kind of a small six three um not much bulk to him so i i don't know how that works defensively and then i mean if you took one of the wings as a riley as a bristol i mean those guys haven't played in over a year um so it's if you're without both of them it, it gets pretty tricky yeah and you know bristol hasn't played well obviously riley had the surgery on his shoulder but you know last year i asked colin holloway about what bristol was bringing in practice and he went on about it he said you know right now he's our, he's our best defender and mm-hmm. i don't know obviously we don't know did that is that more so a reflection of what Georgetown was like defensively or, you know what I mean? Or, Cause they obviously lacked <laughs> yeah, in that it, department or was it, it wouldn't have taken much to show that. Right, right, right. Year. Or was it like a major compliment to Bristol who was the MEAC freshman of the year a couple of seasons ago and just hasn't, hasn't played. I mean, obviously he's played in practice, but he hasn't played competitive basketball in a long time. Um, so you don't really go to the games, but this is, do we expect Jack the Bulldog to make the jump this year? Any new tricks or status quo Jeep ride? Um, I'm sure that you catch this during like the commercial breaks when they're going in and they're coming out. This is actually like a perfect Andrew casual Hoya question. Um, for me, you know, uh, I like him running across the court because if you're not paying attention, it sort of catches your eye. Like, oh my God, there's something loose in here. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's Jack. It's Jack. Um I would I would stay with that, and that was from Big Earl Kyle Ehrlich. Um, definitely an Andrew question. Let's see, sorry, I'm trying to scroll through my mentions. What do we think about 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 Kudis's return? I mean, he's listed here on the roster as previous school Maryland. That sort of buries the lead. Previous school Georgetown and Maryland. What do you think? I'm actually pretty excited about it. I think okay. when you take his 21 season and you look what he did, I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means, but he showed you enough that, I mean, at the end of that season, you would have thought senior year Wahab would be an all Big East caliber player. And then things just went sideways for him really right off the bat last year. Turgeon was coaching for his job. I mean, some teams exploited him. But here it seems like Patrick is willing to kind of live with his warts, maybe defensively, um, that he can be a bit of a black hole on offense, but I think he also placed his strengths that he is going to feed him the ball. Um, I, I think it will be, it'll do good for him coming back here. And I mean, if you look just, if you pulled up his compound page, that 21 season, it is a pretty promising um, look at a sophomore big man in the conference. I mean, he was top 10, Offensive and defensive rebound rates, fourth best shot blocker. He made, what, 59% uh, from the floor. So 
I'm excited about it. I think it's a massive upgrade from what you had at Sunder last year for sure. Yeah, and I feel like that's going to be a theme, right? So around here, the sound bites all because it's just commanders talk all the time, which is well, it's crazy now because of Snyder. But like even before that, it's just always, always. And the sound bite that plays on local sports radio is a couple of different guys saying, "Well, Carson Wentz, he's better than what we had," you know, mm-hmm. which is basically you know not the biggest compliment. And I feel like that's a lot of the compliments that kind of get here when we talk about Bristol's defense or Q's better than what they had, right? I mean, the guy they had, Ego F.A., started the season hurt. He's at Cal Baptist, you know? Yeah. Malcolm Wilson tried his best to play. Apparently, he's a manager, okay? And, you know, we saw Ryan Matumbo really isn't ready for the prime time yet, although I think that there were glimpses of him, you know? So, yeah, it, it's, just, it's just funny that when we say things like, I think it's better than we had last year, and it's like, well, you know, last year was historically bad. So... <laughs> It's it's kind of hard to know. And that, that was by Ethical Hoya. And the exact phrasing was, are we pumped or ambivalent about Q? And you are pumped, which is positive. I think I'm sort of, I'm sort of neutral. I think for the reasons that you said, it was, that's why him transferring was so silly. Because this is yeah. like one of the best places in the country in, if you, you know, the Big East is a power conference, the power six, whatever you want to call it. Like, who else is going to feature him like that? You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it never made any sense. Okay, so this one is from Eugene Greer, Boohoo16EU. It's kind of a hard question to answer. If a proven successful coach had this roster, do you believe that they would be ranked? If so, where? This I find interesting because um, I was looking – uh, back the final year of JT3, what do you think that team came in um, in the Big East standings in the preseason poll? Like three or four. They were fourth. Okay. Um, and if I think if you drew JT3 this roster in fall of 2016, they would have been picked no worse than seventh, sixth. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but. I think just the talent on the paper, and this would have to include Heath, but I think the roster is middle of the pack in the conference. I think you could throw them in a hat with Marquette, DePaul, Butler, Providence, Seton Hall, and it's there's not a whole lot of difference there. I think once you get past Villanova, Creighton, UConn, it's, it's all jumbled up as far as just talent goes. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and I think – and you're right, you know, obviously the preseason rankings are based on, you know, basically the perception of your program, right? You know, I mean, and they haven't been good under Patrick Ewing, so it's mm. it's hard to rank them high, you know. But I think also if this collection, if, if this roster, if, if we had seen this roster play together like at all, or even like, you know, 75% of it, you know, 50% of it, I think, I think the, the you know, the reason it's coming in ten, the reason Georgetown's coming in tenth or eleventh in basically every poll that you see um, is because one, coaching has been a question mark, and two, even if on paper the roster looks pretty good, which I actually think it does, do we know if they can play together? You know, yeah. like we haven't seen it at all, and you know, now that there's some questions about if Harris and Heath are going to play, then all of a sudden. Because to me, it was looking like certain players, like I'm looking and I'm like, if you transfer somewhere, 
you're doing it because you probably didn't play at your last stop. Like for instance, mm -hmm. you know, the big kid from LSU, right? Um, or if you're someone like um, the kid from USC Upstate, Bryson, you know, you're you're basically you're you're going up a level because you want to like on your last chance, like see if you can do it in the Big East. But you're looking to play, and now that maybe they've got two less players to give minutes to, um, I think there's like less likely a chance of you know guys getting upset about their minutes or you know there being some issues here and there. Um, but I think the cohesion and the ability for this group to play together without, you know, you get a couple losses, maybe you're not supposed to, and then everyone starts pointing fingers. It's just, it's just hard to know what they have because we've never seen literally any of these guys play together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying I think the projection of 10th or even 11th is, is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you're saying like, you don't think that they have 10th or 11th talent. No, I think, yeah. If you're going to commit to this coaching staff, they need to do better than 10th or 11th this year. Oh, that's yeah, it's something we can talk about at the end. Um, okay. Oh, man, my, 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 my Twitter thing kind of moved a little bit. Let me try and scroll back through. Um, how many Big East regular season games will this team win? Do you want to tell them what they're out, what they, what Ken Palm has projected? I'm sure you know. Ken Palm is at six. Six and fourteen for the record. Yeah. Are you um, plus or minus that over under? I think an over under of six and a half might be right. Yeah. I I would probably say seven, but even then, I would I would be disappointed. I think to actually reflect on this year and say, hey, there was real progress. I think you need to be eight and ten or better. Um, and that, like, I, I think we have another question about, you know, what frames a successful season, which I, a lot of people wouldn't like this answer, but I think just sometimes a Kempom ranking is a good indicator, um, of where you yeah. stand nationally. And if you just looking at his projections if this, if nine and 11 is where he has Marquette and that's a ranking of 76, I think if you get to that point, you could actually say, Hey, there was progress. Um, that maybe we're actually starting to trend in the right way. But I, I would go 7-13 and 13 if I was having to make a prediction. Yeah, it's, you know, obviously there's a bunch of new coaches. You know, we don't know what's going to happen at Villanova, although I think a lot of us really liked Kyle Neptune when there was talks of who knows what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, you know, put them in. But look, as good as Kyle Neptune has been, he's, he's not Jay Wright, right? So this is definitely an interesting year in the league where, you know, is Creighton really going to have the ability to lead the league? I don't know. It seems like it, but, you know, it, it's hard to go from 0-19 and say, hey, you know, I think this is a, this is a group that can go 10-10, and 10, which yeah. would be a complete it – would be, it would be a very successful season if they went 10-10. and 10. I mean, you know, Georgetown's only been 500 in the league – you know, one time since 2015, right? You know, Patrick got him to nine and nine, um, you know, the first year of uh, Akinjo and McClung. So I think it's unlikely that they get to 10 and 10. I, you know, it sounds lame, but, you know, six wins sounds about right by Ken Palm. You know, I, I'd, I'd yeah. be surprised if they won, if they won more than that. And, and if they, if they, if they won fewer than six games, I think it'd just be like, you know, we got to really figure out what's, what's going on here.
Yeah. I think if you're an optimist, if you're in Patrick's corner, I think that 19 season is what you point to and you say, hey, he went 500 with three freshmen in the starting lineup and a sophomore year, Jamarco. And then, yeah, you know, entering the next year, you were probably on paper. That's maybe by far the most talent he's had. And then it just all imploded within a month. So I, I don't want to say there's precedent for overachieving here, but if you wanted to point to something, it probably would be that 19 season where they scratched out a nine to nine record. Okay. So a lot of these questions kind of, there's the same tone, obviously. And if you're still, if you're still following along for Georgetown, you know, these, these are the themes, but we got Cam Bino here. How do you actually measure and assess improvement? Is it a number of conference wins, player development, change of offensive or defensive scheme? And at the end of the season, what would you say, what would make you say I'm satisfied with this season aside from, you know, Biggie's tournament win? Um, I've kind of been letting you start off with all these. Do you want to start again? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it is wins. It's conference wins, right? I mean, it's it's hard to say anything but that. Um, as far as scheme goes, at this point, I don't care what they choose to do. You just – the defense has to turn around. He's, he says he's handing it off to Kevin Nickelberry. Um there are some data points of Nickelberry having some success. If you went way back and looked at his Hampton uh, teams, he actually produced top 100 defenses. Um, and even Howard, I mean, there were some real down years. But there were, I mean, there was one year he was 127, which is what kind of the range Ewing has been in at Georgetown. Um, so I don't know what that entails. I mean, LSU pressed a ton last year and just switched everything. I don't know if you have personnel to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't care exactly what it is. But if I was saying, okay, this was progress, it would be to have a top 100 defense at least. I don't think that's asking too much either with the personnel. Yeah, I, I think – well, getting back to what you said – I wasn't there, but I did find that to be interesting that after basically not not having a season of, you know, a sustained season of good defense, you know, obviously they had that run in the Big East tournament and a little bit before and a little bit, well, not, I'm sorry, not a little bit after, but, you know, after the COVID break, they had some pretty good games, although there were some UConn games and, you know, the Colorado game, whatever, mm-hmm. but to have a whole season where it looks like there's been progress made and then for him to basically say, and I haven't had the time to look this up, but I had it on my list of things. Like, how often does a head coach say so-and-so is kind of in charge of the defense? Now, I'm not yeah. saying that that's, like, completely unusual or whatever, but I just I want to know, like, how often it gets said publicly like that. And even if it's not said publicly, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's places where they're like, hey, you know, I let Nolan run my defense, you know? Um, and that, I'm not I saying think... that that's an outlier. Yeah. But... I mean, the best-case example, remember Michigan um, under B-line? Yeah, I think his like final two years, he just said it's. I think it's it's uh, Yaklich who is um, maybe Illinois, Chicago. I think is where he is now. He just said it's his defense. He's going to do it. And Michigan ended up being third and second best defensively in the nation those two years. So I'm not expecting that, but uh, I think it is a positive development that Ewing is willing to delegate here. Um, oh yeah. So I, I think that's a step in the right direction. 
because the defense has them lost. I mean, there's no way around it. So we'll see what happens. And going back to this question, for me, obviously a better season record-wise, um, a better look defensively, and sort of like the season's over, are you losing everybody again? Right. Yeah. So I wouldn't even define success for the season. Like, let's say they end up like around 500. Let's say, you know, they go eight and 12 in the Big East. You know, it's hard to it's it's hard to bounce back completely after the season they had last year. Um, of mm. course, all the players are new, so maybe they will. But I think also like the immediate like like the next month after the season, you know, most of the guys on their roster have eligibility for next year. I think the only one yeah. that really doesn't is Mazone because he played four years at Upstate and this is basically his COVID year. I want to say everyone, I mean, even, even Kudis, right? Like this was to be his fourth year of college basketball, but he played during the COVID year, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, he, he could come back. I just don't think that you can keep having this kind of roster uh, retention problems and be a program. Like right now, Georgetown kind of is, it's not really a program because I think a program builds upon previous seasons. You know, you have leaders that come through, they show the younger guys what to do. I think Mm -hmm. right now it's kind of just like, okay, here's a new team. Okay. Now here's a new team again. And I don't think that's a way to win. I don't think that's a way to keep your fan base engaged. I just don't think it's a way. It's just not a way for success. So I would measure it that way as well. Like as far as improvement, you know, if a lot of these guys come back, Obviously, you're always going to have new players. You're going to have some transfers. You're going to have some freshmen come in. But I think you want to try and keep together your team to build. Like, you know, college sports is about building and improving and developing. And you can't do those things if every year the players are different. No. And, I mean, you can look at who's at the top of the country this year. I mean, it's Houston, uh, Baylor, Virginia, Tennessee. I mean, North Carolina teams who have retained players. So it's, yeah. and I don't know if that's, I mean, Nickelberry is, has the recruiting coordinator title as well. I think in today's age, that also has to deal with retention. So I'm not sure who has to be responsible with it, but I mean, it's, it's as big a part of the job as anything right now is, is staying in communication, making sure the guys know they're valued um and keeping them around yeah it's huge well and and you know just not and i'm not saying that they've done this but when you look from the outside you know are our guys given up on too quickly you know mm-hmm. and i understand that when you have an 019 season particularly in the day and age where you can transfer and be eligible immediately you're going to get a lot of transfers but part of me you know, Colin Holloway to me seemed like the kind of player that was improving. Um, yeah, I was sort of interested in what Billingsley could do. Um, we're not going to see. You know, we'll just have to see somewhere else. And the counter to that would be like, well, hey, Bob, look, I mean, you know, look at where those guys landed, right? Like they didn't end up going to other high majors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sibley, we never got a chance to see. You know, I mean. I don't know. So, I mean, I just feel, you know, obviously it's easy to sit here and be like, why didn't you keep, t- you know, keep g- going with these guys, but you recruit these guys for a couple years, you get them in and then they're just going right out the door. It's almost like 10 day contracts, you know, but yeah. it's, it's not, it's not the NBA. 
Yeah, if, if you think they're good enough to be recruited in the first place, then it, it really is on you to develop them and keep them around. And, you know, if you take a kid like Jamari Sibley, and it was pretty apparent he wasn't going to be ready as a freshman, but you should have a plan to say, hey, when you're a junior or senior, you're going to be, you know, at least a rotation guy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just having them out the door after a freshman season, it's, it's hard to, to build up a program that way. Yeah. Um, so we've gotten over this. We've got, gone over the success a bunch. I think we kind of made it clear what we think would be would be a good season. You know, it, it is crazy. Uh, it's year six. It, it doesn't, you know, as you get older, everything just kind of flies by, I guess. It, it is hard to believe that this is going to be the sixth year. Um, you know, I feel like, I, you know, if you're at, if you're at home playing a Kente Corner drinking game, I know I probably dropped, I dropped JT3's name a couple times each podcast. I just can't help myself. Um, that being said, there are there are schools that made coaching changes in the offseason, head coaching changes. Schools that were, compared to Georgetown, having much more success, especially recently. Um, you know, Xavier's kind of been a bubble team. It didn't work out with Steele. They've got a long history of being a perennial tournament team. And, uh, you know, Butler... Had had some more had had more recent success than Georgetown, um, and then you've got new coach, you know, at uh, Villanova, new coach at Seton Hall. What are some of the storylines in the Big East that you're looking towards? For me, is particularly Xavier and Butler because you know Seton Hall and Villanova, their coaches left. You know, Jay Wright apparently mm-hmm. is retired at the moment, and Kevin Willard, you know upgraded his job from like a facility standpoint from, you know, a budget standpoint, you know, is Seton Hall or Maryland, they're kind of kind of similar success wise on the court right now, but obviously Maryland, a much bigger program, but Butler made a decision that they wanted to try something different. And they found a guy that unfortunately, you know, beat Georgetown in the final four in 2007. I was sitting right there. Um, And then, you know, Xavier went back to a familiar face as well. So what's the storyline that you're looking towards in the big East? I would actually go with Creighton. I okay. think it would Can be they do it as the top the, dog? Yeah. I think it would be healthy for the Big East to have a national contender emerge that's not named Villanova. Huh. Um, which, I mean, when's, since the formation of the new league, I don't think we've had a year where there was a legitimate contender nationally. Uh, um, wasn't Xavier in the mix for a one seed the one year? I think that's it. Yeah, they could have been. Um, but yes, no, your 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 point's right. It's 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 been yeah, Villanova, Villanova, Villanova. Back. Yeah, I so I think, and I I am a believer in Creighton this year. I think they have all the pieces you would want. Um, and it seems like a team that's going to fit McDermott very well. So I I would like to see them really make a push. Um, I mean, if you get a Final Four appearance from a non-Nova team, I think that would be healthy. Um, but I do think the Xavier Butler storylines are intriguing. I mean, you would assume those are two big coaching upgrades. Um, I'm a little skeptical of Xavier. I think a lot of people have penciled them in making a big jump. And I don't know, first years under Sean Miller, I don't think have gone that well in the past. So I'm a little skeptical there. And then it's Mata. I mean, how re-energized is he really? I mean, I do kind of find it funny. I think it'd be fair to say he did have more success at Ohio State than JT3 did here, but yeah, 
everybody's pumped about him. And I feel like if JT3 got a job, even if it was like A10 level, people would just find it incredibly boring, um, which doesn't seem fair to him. But that's, uh, I don't know if he has no interest, but it doesn't seem like we're going to see him again anytime soon in the college game. Well, I think too, I mean, he's a little bit part of the older regime, right? I mean, like that's the thing with that Mata. He hadn't coached since 2016, 17. And, you know, he had like, I think some health issues. I believe it was his back, mm-hmm. which, you know, you got to be on the move all the time. You know, you're, 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 you're yeah. up, you're coaching, you're teaching and you're traveling, right? You're sitting in a car, you're flying in a plane. Like there's, you're always doing something that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. So we'll see what his health is like. Um, you know, but he had great success at Ohio State. And it's surprising too. He's, he's, you know, he looks maybe a little bit older than he is. He's actually not as old as I think some people right off the bat. I think it was yeah. a couple of years ago when I realized his age and I was a little bit surprised. And that's just what happens, you know, based on if you get lucky with the hair lottery, I suppose. But uh, yeah, he did a great job at Ohio State. Um, but he's been out of the game for a little bit. Just, you know, like you said, like someone like JT3, like if he didn't get a job quick, I mean, why in the world would you want to get back in it now? You know, like maybe yeah. every year you can lose all your guys. You got to navigate NIL. I mean, I guess it's like most things. You have to have a really good staff. You know, you've yeah. got to have a really good staff. And Thad Mata got, you know, got a guy that I think, you know, before Kudus was available, before they found a way to reconnect with him. I think Nanny Bates was a guy that two years in a row, it seemed like there was a little bit of smoke about coming to Georgetown mm-hmm. and he, and he ended up going there. Um, Another, another storyline that I'm thinking of and it's off the court as well is, you know, yesterday we saw the news that Gonzaga has been talking to the big 12. And the last time I did do a podcast, I had the guy from paint touches who does a great job with all of this, you know, financial information and that, you know, the biggest needs a new TV deal and they need to start getting on it. And, you know, once you got UCLA and USC going to the big 10, I think the idea of Gonzaga playing some games on the East coast for basketball is not a big deal at all. And yeah. I think that they are the perfect 12th team. I know some, they, that seems to be very, very, very polarizing. So people just think it's crazy. I think it's like, who else are you going to add that moves the needle at all? I don't think there's anybody. Um, I agree. And, if you look at just the landscape of the league, you could cut it in half and have divisions again. Yeah. And you could send Creighton, Xavier, Marquette to Paul Butler, and then throwing Gonzaga. There's your six Midwest plus the Northwest. Um, and then you have your six East Coast schools. To me, it, it, it could be done. It wouldn't be ideal from a travel standpoint, obviously, but um, the upside to adding Gonzaga um, would be great. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, you can say St. Louis or, you know, you can say VCU or Dayton, and those are certainly good basketball programs, but, you you know, I don't think all of a sudden you've got Villanova and Gonzaga. You got, you know, even though Georgetown Mm -hmm. hasn't been very good recently, they still draw on Fox and CBS, Georgetown, Gonzaga, like those games would, you know, you got Gonzaga playing at Madison Square Garden. Like, I think that that would definitely help their TV deal. And depending on what happens with the Big 12 deal with Fox, you know, if they take, I think like the number is like 60 games, all of a sudden, unless Fox adds another channel, like, you know, this Fox deal has been pretty good, but is that going to be what they get? I mean, 
I, you know, I, I don't, I'm going to be a snob. I don't want them to all of a sudden have a ESPN plus heavy deal. I feel like yeah, you're the A10, no. you know, I feel like you're, mm. you're the American, which is what they kind of broke away from, you know? Yeah. Um. So I think, I think the coaches, I, I really want to see with Butler and Xavier, they seem to be much more ambitious than Georgetown right now. Like if that pays off for them and, you know, hopefully this report from our friend Thamel, hopefully this is just Gonzaga trying to get uh, the Big East to take them seriously or, you know, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes yeah. there. And, and then take it even a step further, if, you know, in the new configured Big 12, if they do add a basketball-only school, like, for me, the first thing I thought of is, if they add a basketball-only school, will they want to add another one? And if they do... Mm-hmm. Who's the logical team to try and poach? I think I know who it is. I think it's the team that you said you want to see if they can handle with the with the bullseye on their back. Yeah, you yeah. know, I don't think it's any school from the WCC. I don't think any of those schools as anything. No. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you could argue for like Wichita, but they've fallen okay. off you know, recently. Uh, but it, I think. And you you alluded to this. If you're Gonzaga, you want the Big East, don't you? I mean, yeah, you don't you want to be to. tied to football. Yeah. If you throw yourself into a football league, you're kind of at their mercy, and you don't know what could happen in two, three, four years. Where I think if you look at the Big East now, going to 11 with UConn, I think even as bad as Georgetown has been, I would consider the last, what are we, on year eight? have been a success as far as TV deal, the health yes. of the league. Yes. Um, I mean, Villanova has played a huge part in that, but I think overall it's it's landed in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I mean, and look too, um, you know, I was talking to, to, you know, a coach in another league, and when you look, when you look at the names that have come through, right, like Sean Miller, Thad Mata, you know, mm-hmm. Holloway was obviously like the hot name. You know, every every tournament usually provides like the hot coach name, and, and it was him for you know what he did at St. Peter's, uh, and he obviously coming to his alma mater. Um, but you know, I mean, like there's it's a league that's willing to attract good coaches to pay good coaches. You know, Georgetown, yeah. based on the last financial numbers we've seen uh, that they have to make public, like you know they've paid their last two coaches very well. You, you know, so it's it's definitely an attractive league that they need to get a good TV deal similar to this. I don't want it to be a streaming thing. Uh, I do like MLS. They're going all Apple. I think that kind of really eliminates your just yeah. random flipping around the dial type stuff. Maybe I'm just too old. But uh, I think that's something to watch. And I was really hoping really hoping that, that Gonzaga ends up here. And I think there was a couple of people on Twitter that were like, you know, what are you talking about? And I'm like, all right, let's just look and see what happens with the TV deal. Okay? Yeah. Um, that being said, I think think that's a decent decent preview for us i try to do this more often i know everyone's busy but Coppin state coming up green bay i think it's like 11 o'clock 11 o'clock tip off where is it that that you are now so yeah life update we uh (laughs) i ended up moving to uh the new york area so i'm right across the husband river from the city so i'm looking forward to getting back to the Big East tournament this year for the first time since uh, last time I went there was actually 2013, the Syracuse game, the night it, night it stopped. So that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, 
Um, actually, pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I, I was I wasn't sure if that eleven o'clock game was going to hit you at like eight in the morning or something. I wasn't sure. No. I feel like you've you've bounced around are a little you, bit. Uh, are you going on uh, Tuesday? Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there Tuesday. It's a late tip, eight thirty election night. It's a crazy night, depending on your so you views. Get, uh, you get Juan Dixon after dark. I've been trying to t- track Juan down. It hasn't worked out that well for me. Um, yeah. Kevin Braswell is no longer on the staff. I'm not sure what he's up mm-hmm. to. I don't know if you, did you. I don't know if you went back to New Zealand, but he's yeah. he's no longer there. But if you remember the last time they played them, and that was during COVID, where we did like a podcast after every game because we didn't get to go to the games. But it was a pretty good Georgetown win. But Juan was really feeling himself after the game. Yeah. <laughs> I. Told myself we we're gonna make these make these shorter. They always end up going a little bit longer. We got to figure out the mix of that because I like to talk too much, and it's a long season. It's a long season. Hopefully, it'll go a little bit longer than last season, right? I'm on the side of optimism this year, at least to start. We'll see how it goes. You and Andrew definitely have have a fan club, so we'll we'll try and make these on a more regular basis. It's at Nationwide Nolan. Want to thank everyone for listening. Make sure to subscribe. And send me messages. Let me know what you want to hear about. And we'll do our best to get people on here. All right, Nolan. Thanks a lot, man.